Playing the ukulele badly because this podcast is self-produced. Weird stuff has happened in the past and here I am to tell you about it, I guess. Yeah, I will. Yeah. Absurd Real History. Hello and welcome once again to Absurd Real History, the podcast where I find stories that I think are crazy and find other crazy people to tell them to. I am, as always, your host, Saoirse Shanae, and I'm really excited to have comedic writer and improviser, Niall Johnson. Hello, Niall. Hi, how are you? Good, good. Uh, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm very, very excited about this. So very up my alley that I'm excited to hear whatever this story is. <laughs> yeah, I think you're going to enjoy this one. It's one of those ones where when I first started writing it, I was like, oh, I'm so excited. This is so funny. And then the more I thought about it and the more I wrote it, the more I'm like, I hate this man. Oh, okay. So, okay. So it's it's got a kind of a, a podcast that we both love, uh, Behind the Bastards. Has it got that kind of an element to it where you're like, oh, wait, no, this person is actually kind of terrible. We'll get into it. His... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So have you ever heard of someone called Lord Timothy Dexter? No, but he sounds like he owns a private island, like <laughs> for sure. Does he hunt? Does he hunt his fellow man for sport? No, no, there's 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 none of that. Uh, okay. Timothy Dexter was born in 1747 to a poor farm family in Massachusetts. He left school at age eight to work on the farm, and at 16, he decided to leave the farm and started a leather making apprenticeship. Sure, yeah, I would, wouldn't you? <laughs> uh, at 21, his apprenticeship completed. He was trying to make it on his own in Boston. Meanwhile, there was this little thing called the Boston Tea Party happening. Oh, that old thing. That old thing. <laughs> I heard of it. Those, those silly billies. Yeah, go on. Yeah. After the revolt, uh, the ports were closed. Dexter decided to stay local. And he went to Charlestown, the Boston's leather epicenter. And it was there he met Elizabeth Farth. I can't say this <laughs> Wait name. Frarthingham. 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 Okay. Frarthingham. Uh, a recently made widow, over a decade his senior, and a mother to four already. She had money and an established leather shop that her deceased husband left behind. They soon married and he moved to her big Boston manor. And by all accounts, it was pretty clear that he didn't like her. He just married her for her money. I mean, she I mean, was incredibly wealthy. Sorry, I was going to say, like, Timothy sounds like he's really walking into a pretty solid setup here. So here's the thing. This whole story is just about this guy who just things keep working out for him oh, and they shouldn't but they keep working out for him uh-huh. it's like a a stupid white man that keeps being successful sure like the people we didn't like in secondary school <laughs> who now we just see them doing like annoyingly well and you're like wait a second <laughs> he's not clever okay yes uh, yeah. there are a lot okay. of people that argue he actually is clever but i i disagree with all of that So he's in this new wealthy neighborhood and his neighbors were the likes of John Hancock. Sure. Yeah, of course. The uh, inventor of the the signature, I think. That kind of people, you know? Yeah. Very rich, various elites. They they were all very educated men with plenty of experience in politics and business. And they really didn't like the fact that this uneducated, idiotic farm boy who was very eccentric, just married into the money and he was determined to fit in to this high class mm-hmm. society i like that dexter really so wanted something, to fit in. something that i've genuinely always really enjoyed in history is like the the hatred of the hatred that old money has for new money i find that so funny yeah. it's all just money it's all money you rich idiots <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
It's, yeah. Oh, uh, anyway, sorry. <laughs> so, no, no, it's true. Dexter kind of made it his mission. He was like, I want to fit in. Like, he really idolized these these men. Sure. There's very much kind of a Gatsby element to this, I, Ooh, I feel. Okay. Um, Bit of Leo, yeah. <laughs> Dexter noticed that most of the wealthy men were all in politics. So he was, like, determined to get a seat in the public office. He sent dozens and dozens and dozens of petitions. And the man dropped out of school at age eight. You can imagine these weren't of oh. good quality, but he kept sending them. Do you have any quotes, Ayrshire? I'd love to read them. <laughs> I don't have any quotes, but we're gonna... In his later life, he, he wrote a book. And I think from well, reading that, you'll you'll understand what I, what I mean about these, these petitions. Okay, got it. Excellent. <laughs> so he kept sending these petitions and eventually, probably out of frustration... The Massachusetts governing body caved and just invented a position for him. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh my god! Imagine, imagine getting into government that way just by being a real well, tryhard. That's incredible. I, do you want to know what they made his position was though? Uh, uh, yeah, go on. What is it? <laughs> Informer of deer. Info. Now wait one second. <laughs> what do you mean, informer of deer? Does that mean that? Okay, uh, look, I'm sorry. Is the is what he is his job that he takes like information to the deer, or that he no, <laughs> he keeps record of the Massachusetts deer population. Okay, right. Okay, and in fair the enough. particularly in Malden Forest, yeah, fair enough. He was delighted with this title. <laughs> because I, because I just wanted to say I would like it if it was the other way because I kind of like the idea of the government being like, "Hey, go tell the deer this thing," and then he turns up and he's like, "Uh, deer, listen, um, new season of uh, Breaking Bad is out," and they're like, "Okay, thanks." Mm. Well, here's here's the thing, Niall. Yeah. Uh, according to government records, the last remaining deer had disappeared from Malden Woods 19 years before they gave him the position. <laughs> So there wasn't even any deer. So oh Dexter God. just... They could have just given him a, a, a cup and a ball just <laughs> sit in the corner. Yeah, he was delighted with it, though. You know, he you know came to the conclusion, right, still no deer here. <laughs> Day 432. No deer here. Still no deer. <laughs> still waiting. Please bring food. But, he, you know, he got what he wanted. He was in government. But I ha- you have yeah, to imagine definitely. what his petitions were like to eventually just get the government to be like, fuck it, fine, inform her of deer. Are you happy now? Well, that's the thing. Like, I wonder, so if his, if he's, you know, he, he dropped out of school when he was eight, he may not have a very good command of written English, right? So, yeah, what is in these letters? How convincing, is it just like they're, he is battering the living shit out of them until they're like, okay, you know what? It was constant, like, yeah, constant. That's, that's really amazing. Also that, they invented a position that they know full well was like, complete, <laughs> like completely useless. It's not even like, oh, what was that thing they used to have in London? Probably some other cities where they'd have a guy w- with a big stick that would walk around and knock on people's windows to wake them up. Like that at least, that, that's not like the best job in the world, but at least it has a purpose. Whereas this guy is keeping record of deer that don't exist. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they wanted to give him any sort of authority. Like yeah. these men hated him. Okay. They all hated him. And they would constantly be mocking him but he was too uneducated to really understand that they were mocking him. Oh God. Okay. Yeah. Jeez. You know? Oh, that makes me so, I'm so on his side now. <laughs> like for, for now I am. Cause we all... start off on his side. You start off on his side. I mean, you still, it, you still... 
Okay. Do you know much about the American Revolution? I know a little bit about the American Revolution. Just a just a little smidgen. I know that the yeah. Americans won. <laughs> I know there's an America. Yeah. Um, so we're in 1775 now, which is like prime American Revolution time. Yeah, of course. And there was the Continental Congress, mm-hmm. which uh, you know about that. Yes, in Philadelphia, I think, was it? That whole area, yeah. yeah. It was created by the 13 colonies to counter British rule. Yeah. They issued America's first form of paper currency, the Continental Dollar. Okay. Now, these became pretty worthless, as America just printed loads of them, which we know doesn't really work economically. <laughs> but still, people do it. Look, I, I know I know some about the American Revolution. I know literally not a single living thing about economics. But I do know, and I can tell you for absolute free, that when you print more money, it doesn't work well. Yeah. There was even a fra- a common phrase at the time, not worth a continental. Like, oh. the mo- like, the paper that these were printed on was worth more sure. than the actual value yeah. of the currency. Classic. Yeah. Brilliant. Love it. American vets had been paid in this currency and were left destitute and broke because they were worthless. <laughs> <laughs> and things never changed. <laughs> yeah. So Dexter's rich neighbors decided to buy back these dollars for pennies and whatnot. Because uh, they're like, well, these guys, you know, kind of helped us win the war. Well, that's good. You know, it's just more of a kind gesture. Yeah. Dexter, in an attempt to be like his beers, bought a shit ton. Um, it was likely he was goaded into it by the wealthy elite. But he you know, spent most of his savings and his wife's savings on... This currency that was discontinued and worthless. But was this all because he wanted to attain this kind of status? Because look, I've I've look, I have funded Kickstarters that I didn't believe in. <laughs> but like Well <laughs> Because like I thought it was probably a good thing to do. But let's not dig into that too much. But was this like at least did he have a proper goal where he's like, I want to be a man of society? Was that his his deal? So, yes, he wanted to fit in with these elite. He wanted to be a rich, great man. He saw that these wealthy people, his wealthy neighbors, who he wanted to be like, were buying these continental dollars. Yeah. He decided, you know what? I want to do that too. But he spent his entire life savings and his wife's savings and bought, like, ridiculous amounts of it. Oh, God. They're like his, so, like his magic beans. Yeah. That's so strange. Yeah. Yeah, it was a ridiculously stupid gamble that shouldn't have been successful, but it was. No, that's, I, the goal. That's amazing. It's amazing. In the 1790s, uh, when the revolution was ended and there was a new government fully formed, they decided that continental dollars could be traded for treasury bronze at 1% value, which may not seem like a lot, but it shot up the value of the currency and Considering the amount that Dexter had, it made him ridiculously wealthy overnight. Like, next level wealthy overnight. Oh uh, don't God. ask me to explain about the treasury bonds and everything, because like you, I know I'm not great with economics. It kind of reminds me of like the Bitcoin thing, where yeah. for, for a few years, there was people trading in Bitcoin, and sometimes people will get paid in Bitcoin. I remember reading some things about people who were like, I got sent Bitcoin, I got sent Bitcoin instead of like normal people money for a, for a <laughs> job that I did, and they were furious about it, and it turns out they like ended up being millionaires. Yeah. 
So now he was ridiculously wealthy, but he was still seen as a buffoon and often mocked by members of New England high society, and they rarely socialized with him. He bought a lavish chateau with a view over the sea and decorated it in a very tasteless manner. Oh, it sounds very... Oh, God, I hate to be topical. It sounds very Trumpy. Oh, yeah. Like, There's, having lots again, of a lot of that. It's gaudy as fuck. Yeah, okay. There was over 40 statues in various large columns in the front garden. Uh, there were figures of Indian chiefs, oh. military generals, philosophers, politicians, and statesmen. Now and then a goddess of some kind. Okay. <laughs> He even had one of himself right between Jefferson and Adams. Beneath it, he had written, I am the first in the East, the first in the West, and the greatest philosopher in the Western world. Oh, <laughs> that, that, is, that is a statement to make. Holy yeah. heck. Wow. I also want to say that underneath Jefferson's statue, he had written, A piece of shit. Sorry. Constitution of Independence. Which is not a thing. It, there's... Constitution of Independence. Sorry, yeah, for a second, I was like, oh no, my brain appears to have broken. It's the that... Declaration of Independence. Yeah, exactly. And there's the America. Yeah, there's no such thing as a Constitution no. of Independence. Oh, buddy. Oh my God. That's great. Oh, he's like, he's like the, did you ever see this ad on YouTube? It's been off for a long time now, but it was relentlessly mocked because it was this like self-help dude and he was in his, his garage that he had like loads of books everywhere. And he was like, I read a book a day. A book a day is what I read. And then he cam- he, the, the camera pans back around and he's got like a Ferrari or something. He's like, and I keep this Ferrari with my books as a, not, not to brag, but as a reminder of my excellence or some, some nonsense like that. But he was like accumulating all this shit without actually taking any tangible like lessons from it at all it sounds kind of similar the guy's just building statues of like philosophers and statesmen he's just like several like suppose the difference is he's like i'm better than all of them <laughs> which is just a bit intense yeah it was around this time that he announced that he ought to be considered a lord even though he was not sure and insisted everyone just called him a lord and people did so i'm so, not going to um yeah, he's not I mean, a lord Kind of great. Yeah. At one stage, he even hired a poet to write a poem about how great he is. That's amazing. That is amazing. Now, I would do that. I'm sorry. (laughs) It wasn't a very good poem. (laughs) Okay. Okay, you're right. So his relationships with his wife and children wasn't great. Really? (laughs) Why? Yeah, yeah. Why? (laughs) Their estate was considered an aesthetic embarrassment and his wife ended up mostly living in one of their other houses in the neighborhood the house then kind of became viewed as a a brothel of sorts with these mad playboy style parties happening all the time and expensive interiors were soon covered in and i quote unseemly stains offensive to sight and smell oh that's uh that's definitive (laughs) wow yeah so i want you to think of like this upper class snobby you know post-american revolution a neighborhood and there's just this house with Mm -hmm. these mad parties these ridiculous gaudy statues his rich neighbors didn't like him living there and would give him bad business advice to mock him and hopefully bankrupt him enough to get him to move this sounds like a season arc of desperate housewives (laughs) 
Like, kind of. Like, it's got that kind of vibe where it's like, guess who's moved into the neighborhood? What's called Wisteria oh, Lane man, or whatever? I loved Desperate Housewives. <laughs> and, like, Tuesday well. evening. Um, I loved it. Everything happened in Desperate yeah. Housewives, though. <laughs> Inclu- yeah, I, I'm sure there was an episode where somebody declared themselves a lord at some oh, point. Probably. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they would give him bad business advice that he would take, and it just kept working out for him. Look, I don't, I can't really relate to that from like their point of view, but at the same time, I can't imagine how frustrating it would, would have been to be like. <laughs> Uh, it's like, all right, Timothy, go invest all your money in and uh, horseshoes. And he's like, okay, I guess I will. And then just like nails yeah. it. Yeah. So here's what happened. They told him to sell bed warming pans in the West Indies and the Caribbean. Do you know what a bed warming pan is? Uh, like, from, like context, I yeah, imagine. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, yeah, right. It's, you fill it with coals, maybe, and then you rub it around the bed. Or you like leave it on the bed, maybe. Exactly. And, you put it, you put yeah. it under the bed. Um, heat up the bed. So you can imagine that wouldn't really be of much use in the Caribbean. Not in the, the Caribbean, no. Climate. Um, but he did that. And, you know, when they arrived, they realized they had no use for bed warming pans. But what they did need was ladles for making the molasses and the sugar. And they found them very useful for stirring and making it. And they were sold at a huge price. That's the best. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, they're used to hold at a price. 40,000 of the pans were sold. That feels like a very high number for that time in history. <laughs> you have to understand, he became a millionaire overnight. He decided to start an, an exporting business. And they were like, they that's what they were trying to do. They told him, bring a ridiculous amount of bed warming pans wow. to the Caribbean. And he was like, okay, if it'll make yeah. you like me. <laughs> After this one, will you be my friends? Uh, uh, uh. Yep. Of course we will. Oh, wow. Next, at the same place, they told him to sell woolen mittens to the Caribbean. You know what, Sirsha? I'm holding off for a reason right now. I'm holding off from being like, that's ridiculous. Because what did they end up using the mittens for? Well, just before the ship was about, the ships were about to leave, thinking the voyage was a failure, Asian merchants bought them on their way to Siberia. <laughs> they bought up all of them. And we're like, these will be perfect for selling to Siberia. Every episode in the past is like like a page from Around the World in 80 Days. Yeah. <laughs> just like rocking to town. It's like, we need those mittens. He's like, ha ha, I've done it again. Yep. And another Amazing. occasion, oh he God. shipped gloves to the South Sea Islands. His ships arrived just in time to sell them to Portuguese sailors on their way to China. Sure, yeah. Who needed gloves. Brilliant. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was probably the most comical. He was told to sell coals to Newcastle as a joke. It's a pretty, it's a pretty funny joke, though, Sergio. <laughs> what a joke. Oh, my God. Well, it was kind of mocking his education because at the time, you know, Newcastle was one of the main coal exports in the world. Right, okay. A lot of, sure. like, every, all of these educated men would have known that. A lot of Boston yeah. or, in, like, Massachusetts, where he was, got their coal from... From Newcastle. From Newcastle. So wow. he okay. shipped loads of... But he was like, yeah, okay, guys. And he shipped... Lo- all your advice is working out in the past. But, you know, what's kind of great about this as well is that they keep having these, like, schemes to, like, fuck him over. And he keeps doing really well. So it's so, like, it's so very... It's so cartoonish. They're, like, dick dastardly or something. They're like, but this time we'll definitely have him. Yeah, I mean, fair enough if it was kind of, like, once or twice. But it was the fact that it just, like, kept happening. It angers me how people are this lucky. <laughs> well, how people are this lucky. And also, how 
vindictive or rich people. <laughs> They'll just keep trying to fuck with this guy. So when his ships were halfway across the Atlantic, guess what happened in Newcastle? Ooh, okay, fun game. Um, <laughs> they ran out of coal. No, the miners went on strike. Oh, okay. Not only was his delivery more than welcome, but they were at a shortage, so he was able to sell it a ridiculous price, and he made bank. Oh, pity for the miners. Mm. He's like he's like an he's like an accidental scab. Yeah. Mm. Another thing he exported to the Caribbean was Bibles and a load of stray cats that he just rounded up from the streets. <laughs> of One of those town. things is not like the other. <laughs> yeah. And again, made a profit. Eastern missionaries were in need of Bibles and the Caribbean welcomed uh, a solution to a recent rat infestation. Oh my God. All of like the articles that I came across, they say he like accidentally ended up hoarding whalebone. And I have no idea how that's something that someone accidentally does. That's so, so strange. And he was never, no, he was never like a fisherman of any kind. Like he was, he never had a stake in fisheries. No, maybe. (laughs) He just had a whalebone. But he ended up almost having a full monopoly and the material at the time was super popular because corsets and whatnot. Oh, sure. Of course. Yeah. Okay. So he was able to sell that at a high price as well. At age 50, he wrote a book, A Pickle for the Knowing Ones or Plain Truth in a Homespun Dress. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I I hate it already. (laughs) It sold in eight editions. The first edition being given out for free. Uh, people uh, were excited to have an insight into this madman. Like, was he really just a lucky buffoon or was he an intelligent playing a trick on the upper middle class? Which some people still debate. They're like, was he really an idiot that was just really lucky or was it all just some big elaborate scheme and he was just fucking with the rich people? Which, you know, I'm all for fucking with the rich people. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, like, it seems like a huge amount of his, like, uh, successes just came from pure coincidence yeah right and he was also an asshole like Like, i want to point out that he told everyone that his wife had died and that the woman that they saw walking around was a ghost and to just ignore her and he just treated her like a ghost which is not a way to handle a domestic dispute (laughs) no it's definitely not i mean you can try it but it shouldn't work yeah wow that's amazing (laughs) niall so sorry i just need to ask one more thing about that did anyone like nobody tell me that nobody believed him He, he like it would be just awkward right yeah yeah yeah. okay okay but like okay it's the past though it's what it's also america and it's one of those things where he'd be like well i know you see her but she's actually a ghost and they'll be like well he said she's a ghost i'm just gonna show you the very first page of his book i want you to tell me what you noticed and i want you to tell me if you can understand if you can understand it and what you what you think so this is the first page Okay, let's see. Um, to mankind at large, the time is calm. Oh, <laughs> okay, we're off, we're off to a really fun start. Yeah. The time is calm with a capital. Oh, all these capitals. Oh, God. Okay, this is overwhelming real quick. Okay, wait a second. <laughs> to mankind at large, the time is calm. At last, the grat day of requ... requ- uh, that might be a French word. Requasiming. What is why I will tell you those three kings is razed, razed, you mean should know razed, and the first first Royal Navy arch in the world. You don't, you almost, don't need to read know, this anymore. Um, I don't, but it's kind of, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to read the rest of this later, because that's kind of amazing. You can read the whole book on Project Gutenberg. Oh, I, I tried to, and I 
couldn't. And it's not very, it's not very long, you know, it's, uh, you know, it was only 20 pages, less than 10,000 words. Oh, really? Okay, that's very short. But also, yeah, it's kind of like having a stroke while reading it. So yeah, it's great. So one thing you may have noticed is there's just random capitals. Yes. What's that about? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's also no punctuation in the entire book at all. Oh God, really? Okay. No punctuation. It's a series of like essays. No one has the time. That's amazing. Yeah, okay. it's a it's a series it's a series of essays. Um, it's also horribly misspelled. <laughs> really? <laughs> like I I think I I think maybe twenty percent is written correctly. One yeah. of my favorites is we have halfway through the page that I sent you there. We have George Washington spelled J O R G E. Oh my God, that's what he said. <laughs> I read it as Jorge Washington because I was like, is this somebody we don't, we just don't know. Wow, George Washington. That's great. See, I'm kind of dyslexic. So I actually found a lot of the words kind of easy. To, I, I totally know what he's saying. You were really struggling. Was I was like, yeah, it's a mankind at large. Time has come. <laughs> and you're just like, Jorge. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what it reminds me of though? Do you, do you remember that episode of Futurama? where uh, Fry is like battling the big brains and he's writing something and then oh. the brain goes, now I must leave Earth for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I forgot. Thank you for bringing that back into my life. I forgot about that, but it's so funny. It's the way they say it as well. I leave this for no reason. <laughs> That's the voice I had in my head. That's so good. I really wanted to read this whole book. You know, I knew it was going to be awful and hard to read, but I really wanted to, but I couldn't. It yeah. hurt my brain. It was nonsense. It essentially just extracts of his brains and opinions and lots of rants and things, mm-hmm. uh, mainly about his wife <laughs> and his business ventures and nonsense. I think he's trying to be a philosopher of some kind. Well, uh, you say he's trying to. He is. Have you seen the statue? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In the second edition of his book, after complaints of the lack of punctuation, he included a page that was just punctuations and included the note, founder, Mr. Printer of no wing ones complain of my book. The first edition had no stops. I put in enough here and they may pepper and salt it as they please. Again, I say 10% of that is spelled correctly. Sorry, that is absolutely clap. I, know. Though. I, love, <laughs> I that. love that so much. Imagine just being like, uh, where we think you ought to put more punctuation in your book. And he's like, here's a page of semicolons, you fucks. That's amazing. <laughs> it, it was like 11 lines of just like, you know, periods and yeah, then commas yeah. and then exclamation points. And just like, put them where you want. The, the shade, I believe the kids would call it. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, so and en- enough is like a capital A, capital N-U-F. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. So I couldn't read this book, but I thought, you know what are the reviews of this book going to be? So I, I checked out the reviews on Goodreads and I, I just want to say a big shout out to this guy, Adam, Adam Stevenson, who in the re- to in the review on Goodreads was determined to decipher it. And, you know, he did a great job kind of from the beginning to the start, kind of tr- saying what he thinks he's talking about. Mm-hmm. He starts off his analysis by saying, uh, ever listened to a legendary Stardust Cowboy album or spent time in anti-vax Facebook? If so, the incoherence and tone will be recognisable. I, however, have spent the last 11 years reading children's scrawls and exercise books. I can do this. <laughs> That's great. We're lucky to have him. We are. 
Yeah, so he goes through it section by section. Um, so if you're interested, you know, check that out. He concludes, Artistic merit, the pickle of the knowing ones has none whatsoever, nor does it even try to achieve any. It is nothing more than the rantings of an illiterate man with an overinflated sense of himself. It may as well be a Trump speech. Brilliant. Here's just some other reviews. No, please. Because I just thought they're funny. Short, incomprehensible, and utterly bizarre. Highly recommended. Five stars. Yeah. Brilliant. I, so there's something very funny to me as well that like, I, I never think that books from the past could have reviews on Goodreads. It's only now that you mention it. But yeah, like, of course they would. Because normally it's like Goodreads is like everything is three and a half stars. Like absolutely everything on Goodreads is three and a half stars just because of how it works out. But I never thought that something like that could be there. Or like books in the 1500s could probably have reviews on book read. Book read. Book man, read that was the book. first thing I thought of. I was like, man, I wonder what the reviews are. You're wiser than I am. I would have just been like, people don't, people didn't critically evaluate things in the past. <laughs> this reads like a compilation of nonsensical and barely eloquent Facebook statuses from a self-absorbed 13-year-old with a limited grasp on spelling, grammar, and self-awareness. One star. That's unkind. <laughs> God, I can't believe this guy actually existed. Five stars. Best review yet. That's brilliant. That's <laughs> that's honest. That's raw. Brilliant. It reads like James Joyce was dropped on his head at birth. Five stars. <laughs> Literally oh the God. most incomprehensible thing I've ever read. One star. I kind of like to read it though. And okay, so I, I want to take his page of snarky uh, punctuation that he provides after people said that he should have punctuated i want to take that and without using more than he has offered i want to try put punctuation across the book to try maybe make some kind of sense of it please do that you know you're an academic oh i don't know about that i would please please do that please read the book and even if you want to later just record a snippet of your review of it i would love that i'll just give a dramatic reading of it it's uh, as said it's you know it's eight thousand words roundabouts you know it's not very long. No, you could read that in an hour. But also, this seems like the kind of thing that it might take the rest of your life. Yeah. Make it a drinking game. Every time a word's misspelled, take a drink. Oh, God. Oh, I've just meant a new, yeah. Yeah, Jesus. Got some more reviews if you're... Uh, yeah, absolutely, if 100%. If you're interested. Please. Um, an entertaining, steaming pile of trash. Timothy Dexter was probably highly intoxicated when he wrote this. I thought they were reviewing me gets... for a second. That's great. Yeah. Uh, and as it gets slightly more comprehensible as it goes on, I can only assume he sobered up a little too much at times. Two stars. Like, okay. Here's the thing. I'm glad that reviews exist for this. But to me, it's kind of like the reviews you find under, like, you know, the really obscure, like erotic novels on Amazon, like the self-published yeah. ones where... No, actually, no. You don't? Know? Okay, <laughs> okay, now I feel weird. It's like a thing. Because you can self-publish whatever you want on Amazon, right? So you can just write... Like, I didn't weird know that stuff. on Amazon. I think I saw it on like a BuzzFeed article at some point. It was like the weirdest... Uh, the weirdest like reviews, or, no, the weirdest books you've had. And they're all like we- like crazy, crazy erotic fantasy things but the comments underneath that are like or the reviews of them th- there's never any that really 
like they're never really serious. So with a book like this, who's sitting down and reading this like eight thousand words of absolute unpunctuated madness and be like, and now time for my very serious review. It just seems a bit strange. Yeah, I mean, none of the, a lot of them aren't serious. We have this is the funniest thing I've ever read. Highly recommended. It. It's awful. Ten out of ten. You need a lot of context to enjoy it as much as I did. Timothy Dexter is my hero. Five stars. He has a weird modern cult following of like, oh, he was actually a genius and this great and it was all a big trick. And I'm like, I, I don't really think so. I think he just had a lot of gumption. Yeah, gumption. Yeah, gumption is absolutely the, the word I would use for him, for sure. Mm-hmm. You gotta admire it. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I enjoyed these reviews so much, but I, I'm going to keep going. Yeah, please. No, I'm, I'm really enjoying them. Uh, I don't know what to say. A friend <laughs> sent this to me. That's a great start. Me yeah. neither, man. A friend sent this to me as a joke, and I just kept reading it. I don't know what compelled me to continue, but I did. One star. Okay. <laughs> That's great. It's like drugs. The only way I could get through this was to read it out loud in an atrocious, old, tiny American accent. Then it at least sort of made sense. One star. Oh, that person is from my school of thought. That's exactly how I do it. I think you kind of have to. See, I'm thinking the Futurama. Now I must love, I am a grass person. And I... <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, God. Now we got to watch. I got to rewatch Futurama yeah. now. And now the last the last <laughs> review that I've included yeah. and my my personal favorite. Well, those were certainly some words he typed. Two stars. <laughs> That's pretty good. That sounds like oh, if you had this weird like uh, oh, I don't know, like a uh, at swim two birds kind of book where at the end the characters were like critiquing what the what the writer was saying. Has a kind of, mm-hmm. it also has a kind of a like a Morgan Freeman voice to it. I think it's like well. It reminds me of like if you've ever seen like a really bad show that your friend was in and afterwards they're like, oh, how was it? And you're like, oh, yeah, you you did a show. Well done. That was certainly a show. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. You can disguise you can disguise uh, facts as encouragement if you want to. Like if you see a friend like play. Yeah, like a show or a play or something. And they're like, how did I do? And they're like, you were, and you can just respond by saying, you were in it. Yeah. I saw you on stage and now you're here talking to me. And isn't that wonderful? There were certainly some lines you said up there. Yep. That's something that happened. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I remember when I was in college, uh, we had to see a show like, no, a load of us went to see a play and I don't want to go into details about the play. But it wasn't very good. And a couple of people... Now, I wasn't one of these people. I just want to point out. Too much of a Mm goody-goody. But a a few people from my year and various years, you know, they were like... I think they were drinking beforehand. And uh, they also... Like, a lot of them left during the interval. So it was like half empty after the interval. And they were like loudly talking about how awful it was. Like, you know, there, like in the... You know, afterwards. or Where, you know, you could hear. And we got in so much trouble in college and our lecturer like talked to us the next day being like, you know, that's, you know, we've all been in that situation. And all you say is you say, congratulations. That's what you say. You know, if you see a bad show and you leave all your, even you don't have to say it's good. You don't have to lie, but just say, congratulations. We're putting on a show. And then you save the critique. If you're asked for it later. That's yeah. I always think of that. 
So every so whenever people say to me like, "Oh, congratulations," I'm always in the back of my head. I'm like, "Oh, oh, that's not a very good." <laughs> yeah, that's like in academia as well when you're at conferences and stuff. And if you think that somebody has presented on something that's like absolute bollocks, you preempt your comment with "my friend." <laughs> that's that's what you do. It's like you just go, "my friend," and then you talk about you talk about what the what whatever they were talking about. I've never done that, and it's never happened to me. But like that is the thing. It's that just happens. like, oh, we're friends, but this is yeah, <laughs> terrible. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like really kind of like patting on the arm. It's like, listen, buddy, <laughs> I'm sorry, but no. Yeah, but yeah, so that's my favorite view. He he typed some words all right, and he gave the book out for free, <laughs> and was like. It was, yeah, it was mainly just him ranting and it was nonsensical because he had very poor education. Now, having read that first page of the book, let's go back to what you think his petitions were like <laughs> to get into government. Oh, Jesus, I'd forgotten <laughs> about the fucking petitions. Wow. So can you understand now why the government were eventually just like, why the governing body <laughs> were just like, fuck it, fine. Informer of deer. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so great. It's like, petition 50. I maybe have writ before have until this time before never. Don't you look this what never know I lost deer on my fourth. That's... You have many raisin too. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it was a suggestion. Maybe they thought that it, because it was so legible. Maybe they thought that uh, the deer monitor, the deer informer position was like a suggestion of his. They're like, maybe he wants to be the deer informer. Let's just give it to the poor guy. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Oh, God. So he had a few friends here and there. Not really. Kind of people, you know, enjoying his Playboy parties. And sure. he suspected that they only really were pretending to like him for the money, which is probably true let's be honest really yeah so to test this he staged his own funeral and forced his wife and children to take part giving them clear instructions on how to behave that's okay look (laughs) we've all fantasized about our uh all thought about that a little bit also that that kind of has an element of irish dad for me personally that's what i think it's got that kind of a rascally quality to it where he does come from irish heritage oh he does uh but i think like they moved like a century before timothy dexter but yeah that's the they're the roots okay it reminds yeah i was thinking about this reminds me of a i used to be really big into this band called relying k where which were essentially like a christian like rock pop group but like not all their songs were about god it was just kind of like you know, one of those, like, yeah. Switchfoot, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a song in one of their albums that I liked, and I was, like, just thinking back on the words when I was, like, writing this, I'm like, that's not very good. It's, it's got, like, the chorus is, like, I'm faking my own suicide because I know that you love me, you just haven't realised. I'm like, well, that's not good, is Ooh, it? Ooh, that's not great at all, is it? <laughs> that's not good at no. all. No. Wow. That's and such... Then- Oh, sorry, go on. Oh, there's just... I'll just... There's just one more line I'll say, um, and then you can say your comment. is like... I wish you thought that I was dead because then rather than me, you'd be depressed instead. Oh, fuck you, man. <laughs> it's actually, it's a catchy song. Oh, but... The, my own the, suicide. That, no, no that, that, that fuck you is firmly directed at the person who wrote that. that that's... Matthew Thiessen. 
Matthew one of my big Beeston. teenage crushes. One of Sorry, my big man, teenage that crushes. That is so lame. That's that is it's so kind of yeah, it's very teenage, isn't it? It's the kind of it thing is that like that teenage, a lot of teenage Yeah, like lots of teenage boys think that kind of behaviour is like romantic or dramatic in a way that's endearing when actually it's just being a real piece of shit. So anyway, Timothy Dexter faked his own death. Yeah. <laughs> and he had a massive, expensive, lavish funeral. Uh that he made his family partake in. Over uh, 3,000 people attended. Why? Curiosity, mainly. Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, you have to understand, he was this, like, he was very eccentric. Yeah. You know, walking around telling everyone his wife's dead when she's just, like, mm. there. His uh, taste in decor wasn't very great. He probably didn't have a good grasp of the English language. Sure. Yeah, I guess I'd probably peek over the fence if I was nearby. Just look in and be like, so what's the funeral going to be like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He was revealed to be alive after the ceremony when people heard him beating his wife with a cane in the kitchen for not crying enough. Oh, that's just awful. Do you still like him? No. Seriously, no. <laughs> How dare you ask that question? That's mean. No, I don't like him. I do feel kind of bad, though, because at the beginning of that sentence, before the very bad thing was revealed, I really thought it was going to be one of those things where, like, he'd just, like, break out of the ice sculpture or something. Yeah. But what he wasn't the reality... clever enough for that, though. No. Yeah. Like, what, no. What, what happened is less fun. Significantly so. Yeah. Um... That's a real shame. That's awful. Well, if it makes you feel any better, he passed away a few months after his fake funeral at the age of oh, 59. Good. And on October 26th, 1806. And I couldn't find anything about why. Why he died? How he died. Oh. Because people just died back then. (laughs) That's true. In the past, there's a lot of people who just die. (laughs) Happened every day. (laughs) Yeah. Was there any, like, reactions to his death? The town did not allow for his remains to stay in the big elaborate tomb that he made for himself. Um... (laughs) And he has a <laughs> okay, yeah. He, his grave is um in a in the Hill Cemetery in Newburyport, and um, just off beside Boston, with just a simple stone marking his grave, because I don't oh, think okay. anyone liked him. <laughs> so... Yeah, it doesn't sound like it. That's kind of great, though. I kind of you do have to kind of hand it to the people of the of the of the town to just be like, okay, now this chapter in our history is finished. <laughs> Let's not have anything that can really remind us of it yeah no one really knows about him that much um but that's yeah that's it that's everything i have about the not lord timothy dexter that's great like i would love to be a a rich eccentric who could kind of just get away with whatever Mm. but like but 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 but, 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 but with, mm. without straying into like the realms of like horrendous immorality mm. well, i'm talking about like walking down the street wearing like a suit of gold and a gold top hat just being like this is who i am well here's the thing i've been thinking about a lot recently well i've always kind of thought about this but particularly with timothy dexter you have these eccentric characters from history who everyone's like oh that's great he did all this stuff and he did this and he was so funny faking his own death <laughs> you know all these stories about all this mad stuff he did and like there's all these history books and these bio- biographies about him whereas what interests me is i'm kind of like what would it have been like to have been this man's wife 
or this man's sure. child. Yeah. And there's never any historical focus yeah. on those people, which I actually think are almost more interesting because people like this, when you're just reading the facts, when you're just listening to it on a fun podcast like this yeah. about, oh, he was told to sell coal to Newcastle and then he made loads of money. You're like, oh my God, that's gas. That's great. We all need to have that gumption. When in reality, these people are almost always awful to their children and awful to their spouses yeah. and awful to their friends because money corrupts. Uh, There's course, countless yeah. studies of how, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's such a huge dearth in history generally of like uh women's history and, and children's history as well and just today i was having a conversation with somebody about um the irish war of independence and women's role in the irish war of independence and how it's being taught in secondary schools at the moment is very much a kind of like an, an another field of history which it kind of needs to be right now because of so many years of it just being completely ignored and there's a huge amount of work being done by, say, people like Katrina Crow, who's absolutely amazing, uh, who are responsible for a huge amount of, say, documentaries being made and, and new histories being made, written about th- those kinds of things, about like women's history and children's history, these things that are very, very important. I think the style of history where you focus on like, like the quote unquote, big quote unquote, like great man style history, I think it's becoming less and less, less and less popular in, in, in academia anyway, which is really, really good because it's fucking bullshit anyway. Yeah, it's just, you know, you you hear about these, you know, these these great things and these these great feats. And it's like, well, there's always a cost to that. You know, people with that kind of mindset and that kind of obsession are very rarely decent people. And I think decent people, normal people, they hear this and it sounds great and they don't realize like yeah. what's going on behind it. Yeah. I think traditionally people have just been very bad at realizing that things that are going on in somebody's personal life are impactful to what they do in their professional life or what they do in their creative life. And if you strip it back entirely and if you just kind of arbitrarily decide that that stuff isn't relevant, not only are you not, are you like actively ignoring a huge part of somebody's life, but you're also not telling stories that are very important to tell as part of a greater tapestry like it's important to study people across every facet of who they are and that must include when they're awful as well it's just it's just like i don't know it's it's picking and choosing which is i think the historians have always done but like it's i don't think it's necessary to do that i think fewer people i think fewer historians are doing that now but it's still very much kind of the thing people do you know I think it's ingrained. Yeah. I think a lot of historians are doing it without being aware that they're totally. it's just how we've written history for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. Of course. This guy Timothy Dexter, he just because the story is so ridiculous, you know, like he faked his own funeral, he did all that like it's hard to believe that someone that ludicrous existed and was doing all this mad shit and you want to support him because you're also like the rich elite boston folk were like you know being a bit of an asshole to them but then you also have to think why were they being an asshole to them on one day as well (laughs) you know maybe it wasn't just them being snobby maybe it was like he was also just a terrible person who Who knows knows? there are still a lot of people to this day that think he was intelligent and fantastic and like playing a big trick on all the wealthy people yeah but i mean it has a little bit of um not definitely so th- we were talking earlier about the difference between 
the intelligent version of that person and the not intelligent version of that person. The intelligent version of that person is, say, somebody like Steve Jobs, who obviously a very, very intelligent man, mm. but a true, a true horrendous piece of shit to like the people in his life. You know? Mm. And Elon Musk. Oh, oh dude, I get me started <laughs> on fucking Elon Musk. Oh god, I hate that man. Jesus. I wrote this episode thinking it would be funny, and then the more I dug, the more I'm like, I guess this isn't very feel good. But look, here we are. I mean, it's still good. At the end of the podcast, it's still absurd real history. It All is. this actually happened. Niall, would you like to plug anything? Ooh, do I have any pluggables? Um, oh god, I guess my my Instagram page is Niall Johnson in your breath away is my Instagram. And then my Twitter, which I've recently started using again, uh, is oh I'm Johnson O H I M and then Johnson. That's my Twitter. And you can have some you come onto Twitter to see me uh, post some some tepid takes on what's going on in the world. <laughs> some hot take, hot Nile takes. Some hot Nile takes. Hot Nile takes. <laughs> As always, I've been your host, Saoirse Shanae. I am on Saoirse Ball at Twitter. This podcast is produced by Screen for Ireland. So if you want to like all those on social media as well, that would be sweet. Uh, we're still a new, I see. I say we, it's just me. I'm this. This is still a new podcast. If you are enjoying it, please tell people about it because it'd be great if I could keep doing it. And if you have any story suggestions or you want to reach out, um, to me more professionally absurdrealhistory at gmail.com for any inquiries specifically about the podcast or just if you have any corrections for anything I, I say I try and keep everything as accurate as possible but sometimes that's hard and I studied drama not journalism or research or history but I'm do I do my best I do my best it's amazing so final <laughs> final take on Timothy Dexter uh, piece of shit fuck that guy <laughs> You were loving him at the start. No, I regret it. I regret it so much. He sucks. I'm glad he's dead.